Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, we're recording today because we have a trade to announce. Toronto Maple Leafs following Saturday night's game. Made a trade with the Arizona Coyotes, sending Nick Ritchie in a conditional second-round pick through Ilya Labushkin and Brian Dezingle, who is now on waivers. Uh, as part of the pick, it's either a choice of the 2023 third, which is next year's pick, or the 2025 second, which is four years from now. Nick, give us your early thoughts on this trade. Well, first of all, I do like it. I've liked Ilya Labushkin for a couple years now. Um, he's just kind of what... The Leafs are missing, I would say, in terms of the type of defenseman that they need, um, especially this year after they lost Bogosian last year. But I do like the trade. They've been looking to to move Nick Ritchie since pretty much he cleared waivers. Um, I didn't expect them to get anything back for uh, Ritchie. I did expect it to be like a third-round pick for just Nick Ritchie. Like the Leafs would have to give up a third pick just so for someone to take the contract. So the fact that they get a... Get Ryan Dezingle, you know, probably just a depth move, a guy that's already been on waivers now. Uh, hopefully he clears so he can go to the Marlies and they get a defenseman that, you know, he's played top competition. He's he's played next to Jacob Chikrin on Arizona Coyotes. I'm not really sure if, you know, he's going to for sure be in the top four. I, I definitely think that he should be competing there. But, um, you know, we'll get into Labushkin a little bit more in depth, but just... As overall, I think this is a win. You address a need, you get a forward back that can potentially kind of be what Nick Ritchie was, which is just some depth that could be on the Marlies that could potentially be um, called up if he clears waivers today. So I think this is a pretty big win. Are, do you also think that, that, Kevin? Or were you expecting more for, for Nick Ritchie? Uh, well, yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, forget Labushkin, forget Dezingle. Uh, I think Richie is really the key part of this deal. Uh, that that cap space obviously had a two and a half million dollar cap hit through next season. Um, it was one point four million if you put him down to the AHL. So you know, looking at just the the situation there, I know you could have bought him out, but it's still a one point four million dollar cap penalty if you buy him out. It's just that you know three hundred goes to next year, three hundred thousand, and then one point one the following year. You're just kind of splitting it out across two years. You still kind of have the 1.4 million penalty. Um, so yes, you had the option to punt it to the following year. That problem. Uh, obviously, he went on waivers. He wasn't taken. It was clear the Leafs had to give up an asset to move him if they wanted to do that. And I thought that was the right decision. I thought you know the way his contract structured, he's getting paid much more next year rather than this year. This is the cheaper year. It made sense to to move him now. Uh, especially to a team like Arizona that could benefit from having that cheap year and actual cash this year. Um, I thought it was going to take, you know, I, I know I said on Twitter, I thought it would like I'd give up a third to get out of that contract in a second. And, you know, a second was maybe a little bit much. A third seemed about right. But when you look at the deal, you know, Labushkin to Zingle aside, it, they basically gave up a third because it's either you know, a third round pick next year, or it's a second four years from now. And, you know, because it's so far in, in it away, 
you know, you'd rather have a set if you're Arizona, you'd rather have a pick earlier. Um, so, you know, I think those are about equivalent, like the third next year or the second four years from now. So, you know, they basically gave up a third to get out of Richie's deal. They get a, they get a couple of interesting guys back. Uh, Labushkin will probably hang around. Zingle might not. He might get claimed in a couple hours here. But all in all, a good deal. Um, I think the cap space is, is really the biggest part of that trade. Is, is, is that where you're at, Nick? Like the Richie cap relief is the main piece rather than Labushkin? I think it's close. I think that the it really depends on how much Labushkin really impacts the team. I mean, at the end of the day, he is a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So there is a lot of stake kind of this year. But yeah, I guess if I had to rank them, I would say that just getting out of that contract, um, especially for next year, is the biggest thing. And, and they didn't really have to give up too much. I don't really care too much about the third round pick, to be honest, next year. Um, I do expect the Leafs to make a few trades this year, in this offseason, sorry, to get some picks back. Um, but And then the second round pick in a couple of years, if they, Arizona does choose to go that route, I mean, it's so far away, I, I don't really care about it either. So, um, yeah, I just think getting out of that contract is probably the best thing. But I think there's some upside to Labushkin here in terms of what the Leafs can get out of him this year. Uh, I'm not going to get into whether they want to re-sign him because obviously there's a lot of hockey to be played. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of spots to be won right now, Kevin. Like, we look at the Leafs' defense and there's about eight NHLers, legitimate NHLers, that are going to be competing for six spots down the stretch. Uh, maybe we see a trade in the next little bit before the trade deadline to kind of make that not as crowded. But I'm excited for this. I, I think... When I look at that Leafs defense, I was pretty content with the seven defensemen that they already had. We've had a bunch of podcasts before this talking about whether the Leafs should be trading for a defenseman or a forward. I was electing for a forward, and if they did get a defenseman, I wanted a depth defenseman. So I think Ilya Labushkin kind of fits that role. He was on my shortlist for depth defenseman that I wanted the Leafs to trade for, so I'm pretty happy with that. I think at this point, I, I don't think the Leafs are should or will make another trade for a defenseman. I know I'm seeing that a little bit on Twitter, that all the Leafs need now is a top four right-handed defenseman. I don't think that the market is out there. When you look at the prices for even like a Ben Sherratt, I would not be giving a first-round pick for Ben Sherratt at all. So I think these eight defensemen, they go with it. Maybe they trade a, a, a Hall or a Dermot away in a in a bigger trade for a forward, but I'm pretty happy with what they have right now. Is that where you are too? Eh, not really. <laughs> I mean, I think they need an answer next to Jake Muzzin. I'm not sure if that's on the roster or not. Uh, obviously, Muzzin Hall hasn't been great this year, to say the least. Uh, I haven't. I would try Muzzin Lilligren for an extended stretch. I think that's probably their best bet. I do think Muzzin probably benefits from playing like a puck mover like Lilligren rather than a Labushkin, but... Uh, Labushkin doesn't, we don't really know what he's going to be, or we don't really know if there's going to be a good fit in, in, in Toronto. Like, will he, would he work with Muzzin because of the lack of puck moving? I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I'm just not sure. And then, you know, would he work with Sandine? Maybe like Sandine's very good offensively. Labushkin stands out defensively, but Sandine already has very good you know, on ice impacts. His expected goals numbers are, you know, you think he's third along NHL defensemen behind just Grizzlick and McAvoy on Boston. So they didn't really necessarily need someone uh, for Sandine. That's already been working. 
Um, so we'll see how he fits in. Um, the way I see the deal is that they paid fair price to get rid of Richie, and you know Labushkin and Dzingel kind of came in for free. They're almost throw-ins. That's how I see it. Um, you know, I, I did think that to get to move Richie, it was kind of between a second or a third round pick. A second maybe felt like a little bit too much. A third maybe felt like a little bit too little, uh, given that his his salary is backloaded. Um, and, and I was in favor of moving Richie. So when you look at the Leafs cap situation, you know, Riley's getting a two and a half million raise this off season. Um, the goaltending is bound to get more expensive, whether they bring Campbell back, even if they trade Morazic, they're going to spend more than what they're spending on goalie on, on goaltending next season. And then you have Sandy Lilligren as RFAs, you have Kasha Engvall as RFAs, you know, maybe a cash or an angle doesn't come back, but you're still going to have a, a bit of a cap crunch. Every dollar of cap space is valuable. And, you know, 1.4 million of cap space is huge for a contending team. Um, you know, maybe it helps you afford Jack Campbell. Maybe it helps you keep Mrazic around as, as a 1B. You know, maybe you could take a Justin Hall and spend, instead of 2 million, you spend the extra 1.4 million. Now you have a $3.5 million defenseman. Um, you know, Kerfoot, for example, makes 3.5. Add 1.4 to that. You can almost get a $5 million player if you wanted to upgrade there. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, I think people see the 1.4 million or the 1.1 1. 1, uh, penalty if they bought them out and they think, you know, I'd rather have the pick. But when you go on, if you're on cap friendly and you're doing the armchair GM and you're trying to make a team and you're trying to put number some realistic numbers together in terms of prices... It makes a big difference. It, it really adds up in a hurry. I think for where the Leafs are at, I was I wanted to give up a draft pick. I was going to want to move Richie this offseason. So, I, you know, it was kind of like, why not do it now? Why wait till the offseason? The price is probably going to be about the same. Um, given that he makes $3.3 in actual salary next year, you know, Arizona did need an incentive to take that deal on. Um, so I, I, think, I think that was basically the right price for Richie. Uh, if Labushkin's nothing, like if, if we're talking in two months and Labushkin was terrible, you know, that's fine because I think they paid fair price just to move Richie. But if, if Labushkin's something, all of a sudden this this trade turns into a big win. So that's how I see the deal. It's either going to be a bit of a wash if Labushkin sucks or it's going to be, you know, a, a chance to be a, a pretty good deal if, if he turns into a valuable piece down the stretch here. So pretty much the floor of this deal, you would say, is probably like if you were grading it like a B or a B minus. Yeah, well, I wanted to move Richie for like a third and a little bit more. Like I would have been mm. that. That's what I thought the price was going to be. I wanted to do it because I want that. I want every dollar of cap space I can get. Um, and and I think you know I see people on Twitter who maybe you know I, I saw a few people. I think the the reaction for the trade was very positive right. uh, in general. But there were some people kind of criticizing it. They didn't want to get rid of the draft picks. Um, but, you know, when you look at this roster and you're trying to make a team for next season, I think that $1.4 in cap space is just massive. Um, yes, they could have bought them out and, you know, punted the problem to the following year, but that doesn't really help you either. I thought trading him was the correct decision. Um, I know some people... You know, also on Twitter, you'll see people saying, well, keep him around. He could be valuable in the playoffs. I don't think so. I've seen Richie play now. I don't know how many games. You know, he wasn't, I, he's not someone I would want near the playoff lineup. Um, I just didn't see him as a good option. He wasn't a fit in the top six. 
Obviously, Bunting and Kerfoot outplayed him. He wasn't a fit on the checking line with David Camp. And, you know, his lack of speed and playmaking didn't fit with Spetson and Simmons. So there's nowhere I wanted him in the lineup. Uh, I thought moving him now was the correct decision. And, you know, they paid about a fair price. So I think, yeah, the, the low end's a B. If Labushkin turns into a valuable piece, you know, it's it could be an A+. We'll see. Like, is, is Le, if Labushkin's a, a solid seventh defenseman, Getting him thrown in in this deal is is a bit of a win. Maybe that brings it up to a B plus. If Labushkin's a good sixth defenseman for them, and is actually outplaying Justin Hall or Lilligren, maybe it goes into the A minus range. If he's a top four, obviously it's an A plus. But I mean, it's, we won't yeah. get a, too ahead of ourselves now. But maybe we'll get into Labushkin here. What what do you think of his game? Well, I think that when you look at it. He's very, very good defensively. He is a player that I actually like him a little bit more. I know I read your article, um, and just in general on Twitter, there is some question marks about his defending and transition. I actually kind of like it. I think he's very good at keeping a good gap. He makes team players, even that have speed, kind of turn towards the boards, and, and that's where he really thrives. He's very, very good along the boards. He can use his strength. He's not a very... I wouldn't say he's like a huge... NHL hockey player but he knows how to use his size he's strong on his skates um, and he can really use his body to separate players from the puck and I think that's where he's really going to help the Leafs he's going to help them along the boards he's going to help them um, in front of the net kind of clearing the net for Campbell or Mrazek so defensively he's very very good offensively he is not very good he doesn't really pretty much give anything he's kind of like the defensive version of David Kampf now, in terms of his puck moving, I think that's where the big question mark is going to be. He is, I would love to see him next to Rasmus Sandin. I don't really think in a third pairing role, he's going to kind of impact Sandin's like expected goals, for example, negatively. Like we've seen Sandin elevate Dermot. We've seen him elevate Hall. We've seen him elevate Lilligren. It really doesn't matter in that third pairing Sandine kind of elevates everyone and I don't see why Labushkin would be different I think that Labushkin will be deferring the puck a lot to Sandine in terms of uh, puck moving but Labushkin's not a bad puck mover himself I think that he can make you know simple passes this isn't the, the situation where it's like Nikita Zaitsev where you know he's he's dumping the puck down every time or he's miss miss passing like very easy passes um Labushkin can make easy passes. The big thing with him is just decision-making. As soon as he sees a player that's open, he's hitting them as soon as possible. He's not really a, a guy that weighs an option and then you know, maybe does a different one. The first thing that he sees, he goes with it. So I think that's where Leafs fans will kind of have a problem is if that first decision that he makes is not a good one, then that's where it can turn to turnovers and the Leafs defending for longer. But... I think that's where his biggest limitation is. It's going to be when the Leafs have the puck. The Leafs have very high demands in terms of puck possession. We see that even players like Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin and even Zach Bogosian last year had to partake in the offensive possession when the Leafs are in the offensive zone. So I think that's where Labushkin's going to really have a tough time. Now, maybe he does better than expected, but I think that's where the biggest question mark is right now is just having the puck on Labushkin stick and that's where we're going to really have to find out. Now, I do think when you look at the lineup, 
And I do think Sheldon Keefe is going to have a decision where it's going to be, let's say, like Labushkin versus Hall versus Dermott. And something to that effect. And I think Labushkin gives a different aspect to this team. I think they like the fact that he's good defensively. I think they like the fact that he's physical. And I do think he's going to win that sixth spot, even come playoff time, unless he's really, really bad. Just because he adds that certain element of being able to penalty kill. You can throw him into late games when uh, you know the opposition's net is empty and he can be good alongside a Jake Muzzin to, to kind of kill the game and, and secure the win for you in a similar way to Zach Bogosian was last year. That's what they've been really missing this year is just that type of player. They've been a good penalty-killing team. They've been a good team in terms of defending leads, but I think they could get even better, especially when they are expected to play a team like Florida or Tampa in the first round of the playoffs. So all in all, I think I'm excited to see him play. Uh, I've been a fan of his game for a couple of years. So um, my expectations are, are kind of kind of a wash right now, Kevin. Like I wouldn't say that I'm expecting to be a top four. I wouldn't be even surprised if he's the seventh defenseman. And he's competing with good hockey players like Justin Hall, Travis Dermott, and Timothy Lilligren. They've all proven to be NHL defenders. So I think it's, uh, as Kyle Dubas would say, I think it's the best defenseman's going to win this. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with the pros, um, just profiling his game. So he's played last year with Oliver ekman Larson, this year with Jacob Chikrin. So he's not overly sheltered. That's definitely a, a, something in the, in, the, in the pro category. Um, yes, I think as you alluded to, he could potentially complement Sandine well. Um, you look at Sandine's impacts, he's like 99th percentile in even strength offense. Labushkin's like the complete opposite. He's very strong impacts offensively, very poor offensively. And just the fact that he can bring a different element, you know, he's going to be physical. He's going to, you know, provide some hits, some shutdown defense. That's the type of game that, that he plays. So, you know, if if he's a seven, even if he's a seventh defenseman, you know, it's nice to have someone as a depth option who can come into a series if, if there's an injury and doesn't get scored on much. So, um, the other pro, if you look at expected goals per sixty when he's on the ice at five on five this year, he'd rank second out of the Leafs D behind Timothy Lilligren, which is pretty impressive given that he plays on Arizona, a team that gets scored on constantly. So. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, Bogosian's kind of the hope here that he's not, you know, a complete pylon, that he can um, actually move the puck somewhat competently. That's that's the hope. Uh, but there's definitely some cons here. I think the offense is, is definitely the clear one. I know you said he's he's not Zaitsev offensively. I think he might be. We're going to find out. Um, Sorry, he's not he's not uh, Zaitsev in terms of puck moving. I think he might be. We're, we're going to find out. Like His offensive impacts are terrible. Um, and with Sandine, I know that you said you, that you might not kill him. He could kill him. Like we're going to get, probably going to get frustrated. I mean, there's always chances to these things. Well, I, his I, I just don't think impacts, it's going to happen. His offensive impacts are terrible. Like we can't beat around the bush there. Like they're no. terrible. Right. It's, but, he's he's yeah, a player. I don't think with, he's going to kill. Like, I don't think he's going to make Sandine like a, a 49% expected goals player. No, but if he's turning Sandine from a fifty nine percent to a fifty five percent, that's not good either. So I don't, I don't think we could just look at it and say it's definitely going to work. They have opposite skill sets, so you know maybe they, the hope is that they complement each other well. Um, but until we actually see them together, it's it's a little bit tough to to tell. 
Yeah, um, just predicting. We, yeah, just predicting. Like we'll be, we're gonna get frustrated with Labushkin in the offensive zone for sure. Um, you know, Sandine when he's on the ice, especially with a Matthews or a Nylander, um, you know, sometimes we have some some very good offensive zone sequences and sustained pressure, and you know, the puck might go to die on Labushkin's stick. Like that's gonna be the trade off. He's you probably like him in the defensive zone. You're probably going to get frustrated with him in the offensive zone. And he's someone who might be kind of borderline unplayable at the end of the games if the Leafs are trailing, right? So th- those are the those are the concerns that, you know, he is, as I said, with the puck. Um, you know, there's no points to speak of. The the goals for impacts are very, are very weak. Um, I've seen him have some bad turnovers, obviously. Um, he's kind of like a, a off-the-boards-and-out type of player. Um and I think the other, like, I, I think you're hoping that, you know, instead of going after, uh, you know, a, a Shen or a, a Justin Braun or a Sherratt and paying a third round pick for that, that you're kind of trying to get one for free. And I almost see it like the Galchenyuk move from last year, Nick, where, you know, you make the deal kind of early, you see what he can do, and then you see if he can change the deadline plans. Yeah, I would, I like that they did it early. I think that it gives these eight defensemen kind of a chance um kind of a bigger chance in terms of just each of them are going to get playing time. We know that Keith is pretty good at, you know, giving people chances and putting them into a uh, situation to succeed. I think with Labushkin, like, especially a lot of Leafs fans have very, very high expectations. Like we've seen guys like Martin Marinson, who, you know, like we all knew that he was a depth defenseman. We all knew he was the seventh defenseman or eighth defenseman. But every time he was playing, it turned out that people were really pissed off with him. Um, so I do think there's going to be some frustration from time to time with Labushkin, namely, yes, like you said, in the offensive zone, I do think in the defensive zone, like it's just with his decision-making, like he's, he's not the type of player, like let's say a Travis Dermott, that's going to go back into his zone, you know, fake one way, go the other way, look at one player, look him off and then make a good pass the other way. Labushkin goes back, he gets the puck. And he makes a decision and he sticks with it. So, you know, he's, he's pretty predictable in that way. Like he's, he's a player that four checkers can probably just go all out in terms of if he picks left, the four checker can just go left because you know he's not going to turn around and go the other way. That doesn't usually lead to huge turnovers, but it could lead to something like the Leafs defending in their own zone for another 20 seconds for the rest of the shift. And I think that's where there's going to be a ton of frustration in his own end. Um but again, I think with Bogosian, we had like very similar, a similar situation where we were like, is this guy going to be able to puck move? He didn't have great impacts on, uh, I think it was Buffalo that he played for before. And he kind of worked on the Leafs. And I think it was actually you that said um, you had that theory where defensemen that, are on the th- uh, the, that aren't very good puck movers, that play on very bad teams, their expected goals are a little bit lower. And, and correct me if I'm wrong with that. I think that was you, right? Yeah, so basically, they can't really impact play all that much. Like, if, if your skill set's defending, how are you going to help your team spend more time in the offensive zone? Like, whether it's Bogosian, whether it's Labushkin, you're kind of just giving the puck to another player and, and kind of telling them to do the transition work and the, basically get me into the offensive zone. If you don't have those players on your team, it's going to be, you know, a bit of a challenge. Now, obviously, I don't want to say that you know, I've compared Labushkin to Bogosian. I think, you know, that's kind of what the Leafs are looking for here. 
But it's one thing to kind of see that fit on paper. It's another thing to actually kind of fill that role well. Yeah. And uh, and I guess until we see it, you know, at this point we don't know, but he's going to get a chance to kind of show what he can do and almost addition for a, a playoff spot line. It's, it's funny playoff because, spot. yeah, it's funny because I think in terms of the type of role Labushkin's going to fill, that's what they're, that's what they want. They want a Bogosian type. In the way that both players solve problems and the way that they play, like I don't really think that they are very similar. Like I think Bogosian's a very safe player. Um, I think he's a pretty dis- good decision maker with the puck. He kind of calms the whole game down when he's on the ice. Like I don't remember very many times Bogosian was a very high risk player for the Leafs last year when he was on the ice. Um, he wasn't a guy that was creating problems for the opposition, but. He also really didn't. He was a pretty good problem solver. He didn't really have too many turnovers. He was always in the right spot. I didn't never really felt like there were huge bad pinches or anything like that. With Labushkin, I think on the ice, he's definitely a higher risk player. Um, he's a little bit more aggressive when he gets to the boards or when he wants to get to his spots. So I think that if people are expecting the same type of player in terms of the way they play i think they're going to be pretty surprised when they say labushkin now in that in saying that i do think labushkin's hits are very good um and i do think he's he's kind of an infectious player whereas bogosian kind of settled things down i think labushkin is the type of guy that can really swing momentum into your direction so uh, we'll see how it turns out yeah i mean i i do think that there's a chance that it's not a fit um, when you look at the Leafs defense, like obviously the Riley Brody pairing has been great. Um, and Sandine's been great with whether it's been Lilligren or Hall, Sandine's made it work or Dermott. Um, so the big issue has been the Muzzin pairing and I'm not sure Labushkin really does anything to solve that. Um, I guess in theory you could try it. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, Muzzin probably benefits from a better puck mover next to him, like a more of a two-way guy, uh, just a theory. But, you know, maybe Labushkin steps in there and, and makes it work. But I guess I wouldn't count on it. Like, I think the best fit just, you know, on paper would probably with be with Sandine, who's having good results already. Um, so, I, again, I don't know if that really moves the dial much on the, on the blue line. I think there's a chance that, um, you know, maybe Timothy Lilligren is the best fit with Muzzin because he's a better puck mover. Or maybe uh, Justin Hall starts playing like he did last year, and, and all of a sudden the, the Muzzin Hall has a big second half. Uh, I think there's a chance that, you know, maybe Labushkin isn't in the in the playoff lineup. Um, and, and I do think there's a chance that you still want to go get a defenseman. Um, so, you know, I I think watching this Leafs team, you know, the Muzzin pairing has been a bit of a bit of a problem to say the least. Um, you know, if, if Lilligren's not playing well there, if Hall's not playing well there, if Labushkin's not a fit there, uh, yeah, maybe you go out and you get another defenseman. I would definitely be interested in that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a Braun or Sherratt type. Like I'm, maybe you try to, for a DeMello or you try for a Severson, we'll see. Um, maybe, I don't know if that player's out there. We're going to find out, but I wouldn't rule it out. I could see them, you know, trying this for a month and then making, going out and get another defenseman. Um, so, I mean, that's why I compare it to the Galchenyuk thing. Like you bring him in, the expectations are fairly low. You give him a chance. You see if he's a fit anywhere. 
Yelchenyuk ended up being a pretty good fit on, on the Tavares line last year. Let's see what Labushkin can do. Yeah, and that's kind of the the pro of making a trade a month before the deadline, is you have yeah. some time to do things. With with Labushkin and Muzzin, it's so difficult to to kind of say because you, you have to take in consideration the Jake Muzzin that we've seen this year. Um, I don't think he's been the same as he was in past years with the Leafs. I mean, if we were looking at a Jake Muzzin of last year, I think Labushkin could work there. Like, we've seen Muzzin and Zaitsev work against one of the best lines in hockey, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak in a playoff setting. Um, but but the Jake Muzzin this year isn't the same. And I think finding that player that is going to you know fit with Muzzin has been one of the biggest problems, like this version of Jake Muzzin. Hopefully as the season goes on, you know, he can kind of find the game that he was last year because then all of a sudden things become a lot easier. Um, I think you can put you know, Timothy Lilligren next to him and, and they're going to have the same numbers that a Hall Muzzin had last year. But I think right now Muzzin isn't at the level that he's been playing in the past and finding that player, finding a solution to that is really, really difficult. So I think Muzzin's play is probably the biggest underlying thing. I don't think that all of a sudden Lilligren, Hall or Labushkin is going to be elevating Jake Muzzin. Like, I don't think that those players are going to be the better player on that pairing all of a sudden in the next month. So, you know, I think the Leafs right now are hoping that Jake Muzzin finds himself um, and finds that game that he had last year because life gets a lot easier after that. But so I also wouldn't roll out a trade for a defenseman, but I think right now, like, like I don't, the Leafs obviously have one first round pick for this draft. You know, I think that they have one splash in them. If they're going to get a, Big time player. I think it's going to be either forward or defenseman. I don't think that they're going to, you know, trade for a Justin Braun and a Thomas Hurdle, for example. Um, I think there's going to be one splash. So, if I had to choose, and I'm going to ask you this question because I know we've talked about this in the past, um, probably every podcast in the last couple. But if they have one splash in them, well, do you think it's going to be forward or defense? And do you think there's a possibility that they could? trade for both yeah i think there's a possibility they could trade for both um obviously the next month is kind of going to decide things especially on the back end they're going to be trying quite a few a few things out um you know i think the, the point you made there nick was i, I do think i do agree 100 percent that muzzin's the biggest x factor on this team um he over the last couple of years with the leaves was really driving the pairing like it felt like an average NHL defenseman could pair with him and have good results. And right. that hasn't really been the case this year. Like, he hasn't elevated Hall or elevated Lilligren. Um, I, I like what they're doing right now. I would try Muzzin with Lilligren, give him five games, see what they can do. Um, you know, with the success that Sandine's having, I would almost, like, make the, the minutes, you know, pretty even. Um, and I think that we might have Riley Brody going up against top competition anyways, like opposing top lines. So, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't, I think I would go with Muzzin Lilligren, see how that works. Um, if that's not working, maybe a trial, you go back to Hall, maybe try Labushkin, depending on how he looks in the third pair. Um, but they, they might, they might need to go, if, it, if it's not working, if that Muzzin, if Muzzin's not having better results in the next month. I do think they'll at least look at their options, whether it's a DeMello, whether it's a Severson. But there's no guarantees that 
the right player is going to be out there, and I'm not too interested in Klingberg. So, um, you know, if if the prices are nuts, maybe it's a forward. I think there's going to be more forwards available. Um, that's why I think maybe forwards a tad more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Muzzin's, Muzzin's definitely the biggest X factor. Like the other player I wanted to almost offend is Justin Hall. I know he's taking a lot of criticism and, and rightfully so he hasn't been great this year, but you know, he's had a 55 expected 55% expected goals right now, uh, when he's on the ice, which is very strong. Um, and he's had good results with Sandine, like, one thing I'll say about him is like he's been in the top four basically his whole career. And we've seen guys like Dermot have great results in the third pairing and struggle when they move up. We haven't really seen much of Justin Hall on the third pair. And he could kill penalties. Um, you know, he's 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 an okay puck mover. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, if he ends up being posting good results on the third pairing. We haven't really seen it yet. That's one thing I'm going to defend him for is, you know, people are, are judging him, only seeing him as a top four type. I think he could have better results on the third pairing. I'm not sure. I'm not going to guarantee it. But so far, you look at the numbers, what he's done with Sandine, it's pretty good. So that's why I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, and in the ideal world, Lilligren looks great with Muzzin. Hall looks like he did last year. And Labushkin's the seventh. That's probably the ideal world. Um or Labushkin plays outstanding and, and, you know, you're scratching someone that, you know, you, you feel could easily be in the, in the playoff lineup. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, like, let's say Labushkin's a Roman Polak or a Bogosian. Like, I'm not sure that, like, Muzzin Bogosian was ever the ideal pairing last year, for example, right? Like, in an ideal world, Lilligren is, in an ideal world, Lilligren's, like, the top, five pick he was supposed to be at one point that's that's what he looks like and hall looks like you know peak hall so i guess my hope is that they don't even have to use labushkin but it is nice to have more options and kind of experiment with different things ahead of the deadline yeah i'm going to defend justin hall too i agree that we haven't seen him much on the third pairing i really liked sandine hall but i'm also going to defend muzzin and hall this year because it's been when you look at the full picture and I completely understand why people have been frustrated with them. I've been frustrated with them. Some games, they are so bad, they're borderline unplayable, especially early in the season and at times, you know, kind of later. But what do you think their expected goals as a pairing this year at 5-on-5 five five is, Kevin? Yeah, they're 53.55%. Now, you know, they're playing top competition every year, every night. They're at a 45% offensive zone faceoff. So the deployment is around the same as last year. They haven't been that bad. Now, where the problem is, is that their goals for percentage is at 41%. When the Le- when they are on the ice, the Leafs have scored 17 goals. They've allowed 24 goals. Their on-ice save percentage is 89%. Now, as we've seen in the past, you know, goals is not the... Is not a good thing to base any judgment on any defenseman. Offensively, obviously forwards are the ones that drive goals. And defensively, it's the goalie that really, that save percentage that's really going to drive the goals against. So defensemen, you don't want to use goals differential as something to kind of judge them on. It's at 41% this year. Expected goals is at 53. So my ideal world would actually just be that 
Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin raise that up to around the 56, 57, 58% expected goals that we saw in the past two years. Um, and then you get a third pairing of, you know, either Sandy Labushkin or Sandy Lilligren. I think at that point, it really doesn't matter because both those pairings should hopefully work um, in an ideal world. So I think my ideal world is that, you know, you kind of give Muzzin and Hall a runway here. They become a lot more consistent where they don't have these games where they're just really, really bad uh, because the expected goals is there. And I think we've been spoilt with the way that those two have played together you know, seeing 57, 58, 59% expected goals, given that deployment, um, it was going to be tough for them to repeat that this year. Like there's not that many pairings that can take on that deployment while giving those those types of results. Um, but I'm going to defend Justin Hall too, because I, I, I think the, the, we, you know, maybe we've been a little tough on him, but I mean, again, this is uh, there's very very few there's not a lot of room for error when you're about to play Tampa Bay or, or Florida in this Atlantic Division. So, um, you know he's gonna have to to really step up to get that spot and to gain the the trust of the coaching staff again in that top four role. Yeah, so I agree with you for about fifty percent of it, and disagree on the other fifty percent. I do think that you know you look at their expected goals compared to their actual goals and you say okay maybe they're getting a bit unlucky maybe they're not, they're not getting big saves when they're on the ice or maybe the puck's not really going in the other way when they're on the ice i do think that they're due for a little bit of luck um and maybe with a little bit of luck they don't look quite as bad uh, but i also think they haven't been good enough um you know even though they're above water on expected goals it is their worst pairing like Riley, the team's better with Riley Brody on the ice, and they're better with Sandine's pairing on the ice this year. Um, and, and for Jake Muzzin, you look at the RPM at impact on evolving hockey here, and, you know, year after year after year, this guy was a, a very strong play driver, both offensively and defensively, and he's below average this year. Like, he's, like, basically dead average in terms of offense, in terms of expected goal impact, and he's a little bit below average in terms of expected goals against impact. I don't think he's been good enough. Um, I do think, you know, the reason I defend Justin Hall a little bit is, you know, Muzzin was supposed to be the anchor. Um, Muzzin makes, what, two and a half times what Hall makes. So, you know, if Muzzin's himself, we're probably talking about Justin Hall a little bit less. Um, Muzzin used to be a player that, you know, could pair with a Hall and elevate him or pair with a Lilligren and elevate him, which just hasn't been the case this year. Um, so, you know... If the playoffs started today, would I be comfortable with Muzzin Hall? Not really. Um, that's why I'm at least open-minded to getting a defenseman at the deadline. But I do think that, you know, j- just based on Muzzin's track record, you hope it's like just a, a bad half a season. He bounces back. He's back to himself. And then, you know, Muzzin Lilligren works or Muzzin Hall works because Jake Muzzin's that good. Um, and it's actually, it's actually at the point, Nick, where, I think the Leafs have to entertain trading Jake Muzzin this offseason if he doesn't have a strong second half. Because you look at what he makes, and, you know, they can't afford to have, uh, you know, just a a guy that's not going to really help them at, at that price range. So I, I think the story in the second half for Muzzin could go any direction. He could be, mm-hmm. you know, the staple back there that we're used to, or he could be almost a liability um it's going to be kind of a complete guessing game i think we're in agreement that he's kind of the big x factor yeah 100 percent. i think we're arguing the same thing like when, when i look at jake muzzin this year 
You look at Muzzin Hall, they're at 53% expected goals. Muzzin Lilligren, 47% expected goals. Um, you know, Muzzin Brody, we haven't really seen it too much. They're at 53% expected goals. So, like, Muzzin definitely hasn't been the Jake Muzzin that we're used to. Justin Hall, actually, depending on who he's been with, it's been it's been pretty good. Like, it's him and Sandine has been okay. Him and Muzzin hasn't been as good as past years, but still above water, which is fine with me, you know, based on their deployment. I think they're in a very, very tough situation playing against, you know, the best players in their own zone. Um, I definitely factor that in. Now, in terms of trading Muzzin in the offseason, I think they definitely have to consider it. Um, you know, he, he's not that same anchor, at least not this year, that he's been in the past. Um, how many more years does he have? Does he have one or I think he has two more years, right? Jake Muzzin? Yeah. Yeah, I think Let's he's got two here. more. Yeah, so he has got two more years at, at 5.625 mil a year. So, you know, it's actually his 33rd birthday today. So, you know, I feel a little bit bad that we're we're, we're blaming him for some of this. But um, <laughs> happy birthday, Jake Muzzin. But yeah, I think it's something that they definitely have to consider. Obviously, he's gotten injured in the past two years in the playoffs. I think they you have to consider the fact that he is a bit injury prone. So, I don't know. Like, w- would you consider Kevin trading him at the deadline? Like, like, like let's say you get a deal for, let's say a a younger, legitimate top four left D. Um, like, would you consider trading him? Obviously, it depends on who that left D is, but. Um, you know, obviously, that would be a pretty big trade. Yeah, I would, but I just don't see it happening. Like, mm-hmm. you'd have to get, like, a, you know, if you get, like, a chicken or something, sure. Um, but I just don't see that happening. I think it's, like, I would say 5% chance. Um, I think it'd be more of an offseason decision. I think they're probably going to see if it's just a bad stretch of games and he bounces back. Um, you know, on one hand, he's been great up until this point, And, you know, there's certainly a chance that, you know, it's just a bad half season and he's back to himself. But you mentioned, you know, 33rd birthday today. You do have to make an evaluation if you're Kyle Dubas in the front office. What's he going to be in future years? Is this going to be someone who, you know, is, is the, the Jake Muzzin we're used to from previous years? Or is this a legitimate decline that is kind of here to stay, right? So that's going to be a question. I think it's probably going to be an offseason question. Um, but we're going to see him with a bunch of partners here. I don't know. I'm, I'm expecting almost a rotation, like a Lilligran, a Hall, maybe a Labushkin. But I, I, that's a good transition into my next question, Nick, because we're going to see quite a few games, um, thanks to, the, I guess, the cancellations earlier on in the season. Uh, it is a, a pretty busy late February, early March. Um, what would you do with the the defense pairings to start? Like, do you... Tr- do you st- where do you put Labushkin in? Who comes out? Do you have a rotation going on? How do you see this shaking out? So to start, I would definitely put Labushkin with Jake Muzzin. Um, you know, right now, when you look at the Leafs D, Brody has good results against top competition um, as a right D. And other than that, it's only Ilya Labushkin that has good defensive results against top competition. So I would play him next to Jake Muzzin. I think that's your best case scenario. So I would start right away with it and then have, you know, whatever, Sandy and Hall as your third pairing. Um, and I'd, I'd give at least like five to six games of Muzzin, Labushkin, see what they can do and then start to rotate. That's where I would start. 
I would start with, I, I want to see Lilligren with Muzzin more. Um, we haven't seen it too much. You know, Lilligren has got such good results. Like, he's, in terms of expected goals, he's at 59%, which I think is, like, top 10 among NHLD. Um, his goal differential is even better. Like, the Leafs are dominating Lilligren's minutes. I think his transition defense is very underrated. Yeah, um, but most, I know most he, of those good minutes are, are from the third pairing, though. Like, him and Muzzin have not been very good together. Yeah, well, then, like, you didn't have Lilligren in your lineup, though. Like, I'd have him in the lineup for sure, whether it's with Sandine or, or Muzzin. I'd like to see him with Muzzin. Yeah, I just that's don't the, think we've that's seen the hard that. part though. That's the hard part. It's like I, I think, I think stylistically Lilligren fits the best with Muzzin. Like I, I think when I when I think about Jake Muzzin, I want a guy that can skate. I want a guy that can move the puck. I want a guy that's you know dangerous offensively to a certain extent. So yeah. stylistically, it's definitely Timothy Lilligren. I just don't know. Like I wish Lilligren was like next year's version of Timothy Lilligren or what I would envision that like. I think that's the perfect pairing for Jake Muzzin. I, it's it's funny. Like I would probably, if let's say Labushkin works with Muzzin, I would probably have Lilligren, I guess next to Sandine, just because of how good I know that they have been, and how dangerous they are. And if you have you know Brody Muzzin and Labushkin in your top four, like you can really shelter that third pairing of Sandy and Lilligren, not like they really need it, but like you could really, you know, um, I don't want to say destroy, but you could really hurt your opposition if you're giving Sandy and Lilligren a lot of offensive zone starts. Like the Leafs could really benefit from that. So I'd probably play Lilligren actually on the third pairing if it's Labushkin in the top four. But um, yeah, this is definitely not a knock on Lilligren. Like the Leafs have eight legitimate NHL players. And it's funny because I could I could see Hall in the top four come playoff time. I could see Lilligren in the top four come playoff time. I could see Labushkin in the top four come playoff time. Um, I, I'm not sure about Travis Dermott. I, I don't know where this leaves him right now. Um, I know that both you and I have been suspecting a trade, you know, for, for him to be playing his last days in Toronto these days. But uh, I, like this Labushkin trade, this that did not help Travis Dermott at all. No, but I don't think you could trade him yet because you kind of need the depth on the left side, right? Like, mm-hmm. Lesson's pretty injury-prone. If, if a left shot goes down, I don't want to play Hull on his offside or Labushkin on his offside. So imagine I think if, you probably... Imagine if Brody goes to the left side. <laughs> yeah, but then you're, you you got to ruin your top pairing then, right? No, so I, I know. Would probably, yeah, of course. I'd probably keep Dermot until the offseason. I do think he'll like to get moved in the offseason. Um, but Can again, yeah, I think though? you... Sorry? Can they fit all eight with the Leafs without sending one of them down? Like, I, I think Lilligren yeah. would have to go down, right? No, because they're going 12 forwards. So they can have oh, eight defensemen. Um, I think that's what they're going to do. Um, you know, Dermot coming in every fourth game, every fifth game, it's not going to be the best for Dermot, but it'll probably be best for the team. You know, Sandine will take the odd night off. Maybe Muzzin takes the odd night off as a rest. Um, so that, that's what I think they do. I think they're going to just see a rotation on the right side. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have some back-to-backs here. We'll have quite a few games, um, coming up that they can, you know, Hall will take a night off, Bushkin will take a night off, Lilligren will take a night off, um, and, and they'll just kind of rotate, I'm guessing, like they play two-thirds of the games. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical that Labushkin-Muzzin will work, just because the puck moving, but mm-hmm. you could, I guess, give it a bunch of defensive zone starts, 
Um, you know, maybe if you're going to use it as more of a shutdown pair against top lines, maybe. Um, but I, I think as I agree with you that I think Lilliger makes the most sense stylistically. He's had very good results this year, albeit in a third pairing role. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it just because a I think that maybe that pairing has the most upside, and then B it kind of gives you some information on next year. Like if if Lilligren works there, maybe you it changes your offseason plans, right? Like you don't need a top four guy then. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know. I would I'd probably start Labushkin with Sandin, just really good offensive guy with really good defensive guy, and and, and see what happens. Um, see what you got, kind of in, in sheltered minutes, and see how he how he handles it, but. I think it's a complete guessing game because, you know, whether it's like a Richie or, you know, a, I, I try to think of another example, but sometimes the fit's just not there and sometimes the fit looks perfect. And until we see Labushkin with Muzzin or Labushkin with Sandine and we get a few games of it, we're going to have kind of no idea. So I do think Labushkin's at least a, you know, a adept NHL defenseman. I just don't know how it's going to fit it with those specific players. We're going to find out. It's going to be kind of interesting to to see. But um, last question here, Nick, before I get out of here. Do you, do you want a second line left wing? Like, it, I feel like that's that's been an issue. Like, we haven't really seen that Tavares line do well at 5-on-5. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Tavares hasn't been as good as, as you'd like at 5-on-5. Is that yeah. is that what you're looking for? That's that's exactly what I'm looking for. Like I just wrote an article this weekend, um, and I said that the hidden problem with the Leafs right now is that second line. The the goals differential has been there, you know, earlier in the season, even as early or as late, sorry, as as two to three weeks ago, they were getting about sixty percent of the goals, but the expected goals was closer to fifty percent. And you know, in the last couple of weeks, that second line hasn't really generated much at five on five. I know Nealander scored two goals, two five-on-five goals actually last game, um, which raised them up a bit. But, I mean, goals four, they're at 53%. And in terms of Corsi, they're at 51%. Now, they are getting, like, like the Matthews line always will attract the top competition on the other team. And Camp, Cash, and McKay, they see their fair share of, of top competition as well. Now, and they also get a lot of defensive zone starts. So you just expect more from that Tavares, Nylander, Kerfoot line, especially with their zone starts and a little bit more cushiony competition in comparison to the Matthews line. And they just haven't been that good. They just haven't been as good as they should. They need to be dominating those minutes. And I think right now, you know, we've seen Galchenyuk play well with Tavares and Nylander. Um, we've seen other players do well and... I think right now you, you you look at the the overall team, you look at who they're going to be playing in terms of Florida or Tampa or even Boston, and you look at their second lines and third lines, and and I don't know how that Tavares Nylander line is going to fare against them. Like I I think that I would want to upgrade Kerfoot. I think the fact that you can put Kerfoot lower in the lineup, he's done well on the third line, he's done well on the fourth line playing with Spezza, so you could even use him in a trade to get a forward, but. To me, that's the biggest concern right now I have with the Leafs. I, I, I'm actually somewhat content with their defense. I think it'll play out fine, um, depending on Muzzin. But to me, when I look at the market and how many forwards that are available, when I look at 
the just the overall trickle down effect of adding a top six forward, a legitimate difference maker, um, and the trickle down effect it makes in the bottom six. I think that's where the Leafs need to go in this trade deadline. Um, so, yeah, I definitely want to get a forward. Yeah, I'm about equally concerned with both. Um, they have more options on defense to try. I don't know if any of the defense if the options will work, as I alluded to earlier. We'll find out. Um, on forward, you know, especially if Dezingle gets claimed, which I almost expect him to, um, I think they need one more depth forward. Um, or you go out and get at someone for the top six and everyone goes down a spot, basically, in the depth chart, ideally. Um, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're, you're screaming that Kerfoot has 34 points in 48 games, I, you know, the point production's been good. There's been a lot of secondary assists, high sh- on a shooting percentage. Just don't know if it's sustainable. It's kind of why we're knocking Kerfoot. I do think Tavares has to be better. Um, maybe Nylander has to be better as well as of late. Uh, he's been in a bit of a quiet stretch. But, you know, ultimately, Kerfoot's the weakest player in that line. If you're going to make a switch, it's probably going to be Kerfoot. He could play on a checking line. He could add some transition skill to the fourth line. Um so I, I think I'm I'm not like I don't think either's terrible. I think their forwards are, are fine right now. I think their defense is fine. I don't know if, if anything's like amazing to the point it can't be improved. But yeah, that's the other area I'd be looking at. Um I think you, you take the next month, you see how the the defense is looking, you see how Jake Muzzin's playing with different guys, and then you know, ideally the defense looks great and you can kind of focus all your assets on forward. That's the hope. Um, if, if the defense is terrible, maybe you go out and get a defensive instead and, and you kind of bite the bullet with Kerfoot there on the second line. But uh, ideal world, I'd like to add someone up there as well. So Yeah, because to me, it's just, it's just, I think that there's a lot of focus uh, for good reason on like Muzzin and, and Hall and that top four and especially that shutdown line that, get the tough deployment and we're expecting spectacular results from them. Um, they're giving about mediocre results right now. And obviously it's a very important part is that, that shutdown line. But when you look at the forwards, you know, camp cash and McKay, they're put in a very tough spot and they're able to spit out, you know, pretty much a, a little bit above a 50, 50 split in terms of shot attempts. The whole forward kind of construction of, of the way that the deployment works is, to have a fourth line that gets a ton of offensive zone starts. Since Engvall has been put there, I think they've been dominating play quite well. And to have more cushiony deployment for that second line. And they need to be dominating those minutes. Um, or else kind of having a third line that takes defensive zone starts, it just doesn't really make sense if they're not dominating. The second line isn't dominating the minutes that they need. So like to me, that that's... That's a pretty important part of the whole kind of formula for the Leafs. And if they're going to have playoff success, like they need to have offense. We've seen two years in a row where the defense wasn't the issue. It was the offense. Um, I'm not concerned with bunting Matthews Marner. I think they'll be fine in the playoffs, regardless of what happened against Montreal. But I am a little concerned right now with Tavares, Nylander, Kerfoot, especially if they're going up every single night against you know, Steven Stamkos or like even like that Anton Lundell line looks amazing. So um, that's where I would look to improve. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm kind of open-minded in terms of forward or defense. You know, 
I'd be after everyone, especially if they have term, like a JT Miller or on the back end of Damon Severson. Um, you know, it's going to come down to price at the end. Um, but I'd be, I'd be open to upgrading either. I, I do think that the power play success, obviously the Leafs are scoring a lot right now, but could they get, could they get better at five on five? Probably, you know, Kerfoot's numbers are pretty strong, but again, I think this, the second line has been a little bit lucky this season, maybe in terms of the puck going in the net. Um, I, I think they could be, they could stand to improve at least a little bit. So It'll be interesting. Um, we'll see how they do in this, this upcoming stretch, and, and maybe we'll change your mind. Maybe you'll be more looking for a defenseman, uh, or maybe it'll become clear, especially if there's an injury, if they need a forward. I, I think I at least want a Cali Yarncroft type, but you know, I would definitely be calling about you know the players in, in kind of the higher tiers as well. But yep. So and Leafs are playing Montreal tonight, so they uh, it's a it's a good rematch of last year's. It's it's going to be a playoff atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, Kerfoot, like Kerfoot and Bunting would lead to have the scoring. So I, I guess that's a, a, a positive. Or at least yeah. at least we're not Montreal. But let's get out with yeah. the last question that we always ask. They have four games this week. Montreal tonight, Columbus tomorrow, and then they play Minnesota and Detroit. A uh, bit of an easier schedule, Minnesota being really the only playoff team. How many points are you going to be happy with out of these four games? So I'm pulling up the schedule here. So it's Montreal tonight, Blue Jackets tomorrow, Wild that's going to be a great game uh, on Thursday. And so I want them to get six points. Um, I'll be happy with six points, let's say. And, yeah. you know, if they can get seven or eight, like that wild game is going to be fantastic. That's a really good hockey club. Yeah, there's definitely a chance. For, definitely seems like there's a chance for eight if they can beat the wild. I'll say six as well. Um, you know, they could lose one of those games. Columbus will be this, they'll be on a second half of a back-to-back against Columbus. You never know if a goalie's going to come out and just play well or if you're not going to get bounces one night. But I would like six. I think with this easy schedule, you can expect six. Especially when they're they're chasing. Like right now, Florida is 8-2 and two in their last 10. Tampa is 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. They Those those teams just don't lose. It's, it's what a race this is in the Atlantic Division, honestly. Yeah, Florida's incredible Tampa's incredible they really need to change the playoff format but yeah I'd like I'd, <laughs> I'd like to get the one seed obviously I'd love to get home ice so these games are going to be quite important all right and a nice game against Boston yeah nice nice series against Boston uh yeah it would be Boston too. uh unless maybe it could be like Washington or, or the Rangers if you get the one seed hopefully hopefully yeah. hopefully <laughs> anyways thanks everyone for listening and we'll see everybody next week 